watch the movie. You're listening to No Synopsis, a film history podcast. It is hosted by me, Elise, and Ashley. We watched the movie. We're talking about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Ashley, what was this movie about? (laughs) Let's see. This movie was about an insane hypnotist who uses a somnambulist or sleepwalker to commit murders. Cool. That sounds like the movie I watched. (laughs) Good. Is directed by Robert Wine, written by Han Janowitz and Carl Mayer, and cinematography by Willie Hamister. Yeah. So some would say this is the first horror movie ever made. I found that out through some reading. I wanted to know some background because it's a very, I don't want to say period piece, but it's a, you know, it's got a certain look. So some read that it has like a cult following Mm -hmm. because it's so distinct i feel like right it is a time and place that we i've never experienced before well it's kind of cool because the movie itself doesn't have a time period an obvious time period because it's kind of fairy it could almost be medieval there's certain clothes styles but it wasn't quite contemporary of the time clothing styles right you know, there is a traveling fair, so it could be any time. So it's kind of cool because it's, A, very distinctive, but B, out of time. Yes. And, and it, it takes place in a fictional place called Holstenwall. But there is a hotel nowadays in Hamburg, Germany, named after that. And it starts with these two people sitting on a bench. And then they say, ooh, spirits are surrounding us. Yeah, so let's take a look at that opening shot because i want to ask you a question do you think that opening shot has a bit of surrealism with it or is that a pretty normal bench and courtyard shot i think it's definitely surrealist the bench is like built into the wall almost like a gaudi park bench or something and the path that they're sitting on doesn't look like it has like natural features or it's just a kind of stark but also geometric pathway there's no bench really that they're sitting on top of they're kind of mushed together on this seating apparatus yeah almost against a cliff wall or something because this is a frame story so this is the beginning of the story this is one frame you could say and then we go into this crazy expressionist world and then we have the the twist ending or the end of the frame the other frame So if we're thinking that we're entering Francis, this is Francis, right? Mr. Francis. Yeah. Mr. Excuse me. (laughs) This is Mr. Francis to you. So if we're entering his twisted mind, because at the end we find out that he is actually a member of this insane asylum and he has populated this story with people around him who are characters in this insane asylum. Right. Right. So one idea is we're in 
our own reality, almost like the cell or something. We're going into his mind, and this is why it's all twisted, because Mm. he's a twisted character. But the twist within a twist, I would argue, is that both ends of the frame story show expressionist art. So we're never out of his crazy, whacked-up mind. It almost seems like reality is his crazy, whacked mind. Right, because at the beginning of the film, we don't actually know that he's in the insane asylum. We think he's just telling the background story of how he, him and his fiancée had this crazy experience, had a fair. So we think it's actually a true story from his past. And then it, as it starts to unfold, we figure out that chronologically and logically this isn't true. Right, but it's almost could be a tidy ending if you want to see it that way, or it could be kind of a question mark because you're still kind of left with not knowing what's real. I definitely had more questions at the end. More questions than answers. Yes. (laughs) I know. I wasn't going to say it, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, I thought I knew what was going on the whole movie, and I thought I was like, oh, yeah, this is just like a basic story, and then it starts to twist, and you're like, wait, what have I been watching? What is actually true? Was he never in the same asylum and now he is? Right. Did he get put there because of this yeah. whole experience? That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, because it, I guess it's at the very end, he and he's talking to his fiance and she's thinking that she's a queen and she can't marry him. And you're sort of like, oh, well, this makes sense that this whole episode, his friend Alan getting murdered, put him in the insane asylum. But then we see Dr. Caligari. K- K- Dr. Caligari, I'm going to hop and puff through that one. (laughs) We see him without all his crazy makeup, crazy gloves, top hat. He looks like a regular person, and he's the director of the sane asylum. So that was the biggest twist for me. Mm -hmm. And so you're almost still, like, distrusting of what actually is happening. You're sort of, I guess, Mr. Francis is supposed to be the unreliable narrator. But we've trusted him this whole time. It's hard for me to sort of turn on him. It's like, I still believe you no matter what. Yeah. We've seen inside your mind now. So we right. <laughs> you're on your side. But I even question if, you know, Dr. Caligari was the head of the Institute or was he maybe another patient there right. that he is convinced. But at the end, he does say, oh, I now know what is causing these. And then it just ends. So is it like, is he an actual doctor that's going to help him? Is he going to put him through... Another psychosis. Is he going to become the sleepwalker? That's what I thought. So many different scenarios that it leaves you with, and it just says, the end. Once Caligari puts on his spectacles at the end, it's almost like a hint of that he is the evil Dr. Caligari, Mm -hmm. not just the director of the Institute, but he's going to use this guy's sleepwalking, maybe, powers to commit more murders. Right. To further his Dr. Caligari character. That it originates in like 1720. What? I thought it was even further than that. Oh, maybe we had different book translations. Oh, no. <laughs> when we're reading his diary and the backstory, yeah. they like find this really old volume and they open the first page and it's like, this is Dr. Caligari and it's 1783 and I'm murdering people for fun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Why? Well, see, mine said a collection from Uppsala University published in the year 1256 is what I thought I saw. But it, it started with in the year 1093. Caligari invited the small towns of northern Italy traveling around with his 
symbolic symbolist Cesar. Caesar. Cesare. Whom he carried. Cesare. Cesare. Whom he carried in a rough wooden crate. That's what I gathered from mine. But yeah, take that with a grain of salt, I guess, of translation. Well, that's one rendition of it. Yeah. The character, Dr. Caligari, has been around for hundreds of years. So which right. is like, how is that possible? Right. Longer than any person would be. Yes, exactly. Any human any person. Human. Also, this film reminded me a lot of Shutter Island. Oh. It was almost exactly like Shutter Island. Scorsese's DiCaprio project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess it's similar. You want to believe in Leonardo DiCaprio's character and what he's telling you or what you're seeing from the story standpoint. And it completely turns it on its head and you find out he's kind of the the villain. And And you're also wondering what is true. Because as Leonardo DiCaprio's character says in the movie, we've been eating the food here. We've been smoking the cigarettes here. Like they could be making us insane Mm -hmm. because the place was pretty creepy. Right. But also he had been through the whole trauma and he kept thinking about it and kind of flashing back to it so that could have put him in the insane asylum and then he has to have that autonomy that i'm the detective here so it could be both right just like this movie just like this yeah we don't really know what puts him there besides him convinced that dr caligari is dr caligari right so one of the writers meyer Wanted to get out of World War One conscription, so he faked insanity, and he had to undergo all these intensive psychoanalysis treatments, wow. and he was a little bit scarred from it. And so that's the Dr. Caligari character, okay. was the therapist that he had to interview with over and over. Oh my gosh. Then I also read that he was in World War One. I. I read, yeah, that after World War One, both writers were kind of anti-government mm-hmm. and couldn't make sense of a lot of things that they had went through and now being out of the war didn't feel like the government had their back and so it was kind of like a gaslighting and, if you will yeah an anti-authoritarian picture but like the too. government gaslighting them and they, so they wanted right. to react right okay yeah i see the big lie that we're led to believe yeah distrust of authority right the style of this movie was really, really cool. And the set design, I was impressed, considering it was 1920. A lot of the movie theaters in Germany after World War One were socialized. So it was just government-mandated movies, and this is one of the few independent ones. So because it was independent, A, they had a lot more freedom, but B, they didn't have very much money. And I also read something that they even had to ration the electricity that they had to use so this whole movie is in the studio and they got people to paint on the canvas for the sets because you can make it look cool but also because it's so cheap yeah i wrote that wow what an affordable way to do a fair (laughs) don't show individual inside stalls just show like tents overlapping to right. make it look full right. and like there are tons of different stalls at the fair. I was like, wow, that's going to save a lot of money. And it's just so cool how they can do it. Like everything is catty corner, diagonal, the merry-go-round. Yeah. Things look like they're about to fall off the mountain. It's just very Yeah, they cool. show the depth of field by using scale to portray people going through a long fair setting. They actually make them go in a zigzag through the set to make it look like it's a more depth 
shot. Right. Which was, I a thought, longer was really shot, cool. Right? Yeah, a longer That's shot. Great. So because this was filmed in a studio, they only had six meters wide and deep. So about 20 feet square wow, is all they had to work with. Really small. And so they had to make space where there is no space. Yeah, and they like, like speed up the film when someone's going further away than they actually are to make it look like they're walking faster. And all those little techniques, um, they work. But because this movie was so popular and was so iconic uh, a lot of other films and studios decided to film in the studio entirely and not go on location and so that made the set designers all the more important right, right. and that's also who emigrated to the u.s and to holly to hollywood and new york and london once the rise of nazis came right so it kind of spread once this happened it kind of spread and at this time German cinema was the only industry in the world that could compete with Hollywood. And then once World War II happened, that kind of went away. But so then some filmmakers came to Hollywood or New York. Yeah, and they had to flee to leave Germany. Yeah. This is just an aside, but I thought it was kind of interesting. So some people would come from Germany and try and make their own films or remake some films in the U.S., but the U.S. didn't recognize Nazi law. So sometimes there was trouble making their own art. Yeah, yeah I, I also read they tried to remake this movie multiple times and that yes, they came right. into that problem because they couldn't remake it in Hollywood because they right. weren't sure they wanted to restart it. But then it was remade in 2005. Yeah, there were so many attempts and then the ones right. they made apparently were like not that good. But I think they put new actors on the same sets. I thought that was an interesting the way of... But it's like, that's not a remake. Yeah. (laughs) That's just like uh, telling a play. Like, that's just a restaging almost. Right. Not even. You're doing the same background. Yeah. I know. I was like, well, you guys could have done so much better. But maybe someday (laughs) someone will redo Dr. Caligari in its proper manner. One day. It's called Shutter Island. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Talk to Scorsese about that. (laughs) (laughs) One of the writers... Janowitz. Mm-hmm. It's with a J, but I'm going to say Janowitz. It is Janowitz. Yeah. Okay. His name is Janowitz. <laughs> and he thought he saw a real life murder in Prague. Oh. And it was on the park beside this street, Holston Town. Is that what the Holsten town is here? Holstenwall. Holstenwall. So that's why he named the town Holstenwall. Because? Because he saw this murder. Beside Holston Wall. In Prague. In Prague. Wow. That's what he thought anyway. So he saw someone get murdered. He saw a young woman get murdered. And so he felt he needed to write a film of multiple murders. Maybe. And he went through a war. Yes. Yeah. The fact that there are multiple murders in this story I thought was interesting. And insanity. Yeah. So apparently when this was first shown in Germany, when Cesare or Caesar opens his eyes in the cabinet, apparently a lady screamed in the audience. And then when the music is so good, too. And then when Cesare is abducting Jane from her bedroom while she's sleeping, Mm -hmm. like apparently women fainted in the theater. But I was on pins and needles, too. He moves so weird and he's wearing these tight leggings and he has pretty big calves. And he's just, like, tiptoeing in the room. And I was like, no, she looks so peaceful. It was almost like a cartoon because it was, like, 
characterized they had to overact i realized yes. for you know the style and then the exaggerated makeup of course again for this style but he was like hub- like slinking against the wall like cat yes, almost with his arm up yeah. like brushing against the wall and you know even without even being able to see his face who it is and you can see the white of his eyes shining out from his black makeup i mean this is expressionism like right we just because of how he moves because of the overdone makeup right it's not just the stylized sets right exactly it's so creepy it's so scary and it's so simply done i didn't realize it was him though until they show his face over jane and then i was like oh it is him i could tell by his calves and his weird tight pants no (laughs) it's so scary he doesn't have shoes on he's almost you know for the quietness the long, long shot, shot again of him walking slowly towards her and her in the foreground. It is creates that perfect tension and oh, definitely it's scary. People scream in theater, yeah, yeah. I would scream, yeah. And back then, this is not something that you ever see before, right? So the movement of expressionism had been around for a while. The die broke movement had ended in 1913. And this was in 1920. So some critics of the movie thought that like expressionism had already become tainted by consumerism and gotten watered down Mm -hmm. and kind of trivialized. Doesn't it always? And also the producers of this movie were sort of like, oh, yeah, let's go the expressionistic bit. Like it's so popular. People are going to like it. It's an easy win kind of. Hmm. It's like making a superhero movie today. I did read that Janowitz was saying that some things were forced on them by the studio. Yes, like the frame story. I don't think that the writers wanted the frame yeah. story. They wanted Fritz Long. He was going to direct at the beginning. And then he was busy with his spider movie, The Spiders. But he even had a few meetings. Hmm. And I think he introduced the writers to some film industry people. In order to get it made. Right. But it was directed by Robert Wine. Yeah. And his dad was an actor, and his dad couldn't act after a certain age, and so he kind of went a little mad, oh. Robert Wine's father. Wow. So the writers were like, you get it. You know madness. Uh-oh. <laughs> to be recognized that you understand madness. You're like, hmm, thanks. You're a good fit. <laughs> yeah. He's like, finally, I can use this. Was he a popular director at the time? He was popular after this. Okay. This was one of his early movies. And so one of their inspirations was Paul Wegener. And he directed The Golem that we're going to watch next. So it all works. And so also German romanticism was one of the inspirations of this, too. Like you could say the overacting in the storyline. Right. Because some people are saying this isn't an expressionist story. It's kind of a simple detective story. Like who are committing these murders Mm -hmm. with this expressionist style kind of as a window dressing or a sheet that you throw over definitely that's a good way to describe it like i feel more like you just gotta get into it have to adjust to the style yeah the pacing it was like watching a tim burton movie almost we think tim burton's so iconic and it's unique it has that nightmare before christmas Mm -hmm. like you can see so much of tim burton in the eye makeup so much and the crisscross streets the street lights all of the different angles and the way they use light, the harsh lines, mm-hmm. which is very Bauhaus time right. of the artistic period from 1919 to 1933. And it's mixture mixing graphic lines and like architecture with like an Art Nouveau art style. 
mixing it together to make him one. Um, In a nightmare scope. Yes, and they do, they do it perfectly with the angled doors and then the um, institute, the like swirly lines on the carpet and the walls. Right. And that it almost looks like a fun house in Dr. Caligari's office. Is really cool to see that used in a film. I've never seen Bauhaus go into that direction. Right. I like how there were shadows and light sources painted on to the canvas. Yeah. So you can you can see some of film noir already, right? Like the long shadows or the long cast of light. Like you can see where this is going. Yeah, but the fact that you said they paint them on to make it more dramatic, whereas film noir, they actually use light sources and play with the light and shadow. Right. But these, they are able to change the vanishing point because they painted on the light sources. So it works again with their depth of field. The Institute, when they go in the archways and then up the stairs, because you know they're just stairs at the bottom of that arch. They have to go probably just the top to not be seen. But to make it really look like they're going up into a tunnel. Oh, I see. So it's probably just three feet, but they yeah. have it has to look like it's a whole flight of stairs. Right, exactly. They're just all little tricks and things. Yeah, it was almost kind of blew my mind that a movie could look like right, this. Right, exactly. Like you could play so much with it. And it was such a short scene, but I really like the graveyard scene. It's just on screen for maybe 30 seconds or less, mm -hmm. but it's so cool. And they have the weird plant matter hanging over the wall. And there's all these crosses that are almost look like they're organically coming out of the wall. And like you said, the painted shadow on the wall of the right. previous plants. And I think the... Writers, Janowitz and Meyer, were both in love with the same woman. So this Jane character was written for her. Oh. And then I think one thing said that she died too young, but one thing just said that she moved on to a director. And so she told Janowitz to see a fortune teller. And the fortune teller told Janowitz that the lady, Gilda Langer, was going to die soon. Well, One thing I read said yes, and she died earlier that year. And then I read the footnote and it was like, nope, she didn't die. She moved on. Same thing. Right. She's dead to us. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I think film noir will look at more is the motivations and the psychology of each character. Mm. This one, the psychology is kind of expressed in the sets and in the overacting and in the makeup. But we know Dr. Caligari is looking to see if he can get a sleepwalker to murder for him. That's what's in the diary. It just kind of tells us. Right. But we don't really know why. Is it just in the name of science? Is it because he's mm. insane? That's kind of the really only insight to character motivation we get. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I was just kind of like, oh, he's kind of evil. and Right. We accept he looks evil. Yes, exactly. His mannerisms are evil. Right. I like how the doctor, I think it's Jane's doctor father. Dr. Olsen. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Happened to be right here. Dr. Olsen is going to check on Cesare to see how he is. And so they knock on the door of this tiny house. It's like tiny houses before they were cool. Yeah. And there's not a title card for it because it's just a little bit. But Dr. Caligari opens the door and reluctantly and they're like, bah, 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 bah. we're coming to check on Cesare and see if he's a person and if he's alive. And you can totally tell he's like, Dr. Caligari is like, do you have a warrant? And they produce a piece of paper. And then he's like bursting, like bursting with anger. You can see that he's so mad. And then he's like, okay, come right in. 
and he makes the gesture of coming right in. So it's so cool that you can, even today, a hundred years later, we're like, this is what they're saying. Right. right. I was I questioned. I was like, oh, they require warrants at that time. Right. It just seems so. It was classic. Yeah. And then like he doesn't want to, but he has to. Yep. yep. They produced the paper. <laughs> right. To go in that door. I like how every time you see a ladder back chair, there's it's the highest ladder back chair. There's like five ladders oh, no. in it. And you're like, that's as tall as a person. Like it almost comes up to a man's shoulder. Every time it was in a shot, I was like, like the, here's the tall back chair again. Yeah. But I thought maybe that was to distinguish it was Alan's apartment. You know, like right. I didn't see one anywhere else. And I thought right. that was a cool way to, yeah, for setting. Same with clothing, the way they're all different manner of dress. So it was easier to depict who the characters were that way. I love the part where Francis is chasing Dr. Caligari and they're chasing through the windy streets. And then Dr. Caligari runs into the insane asylum. It was such a large lobby. And he says, Someone just ran in here, like, I need to see this guy. And they're like, oh, why don't you talk to the director face-to-face in person? And they go, they take him to the office. And it's Dr. Caligari. That was the best reveal. So I kind of suspected when he's talking to him and being like, I need to see Dr. Caligari. or Because that's not his real name. Do you have a patient by the name of Caligari? And he can't, they're like, we can't tell you who our patients are. HIPAA? <laughs> Even in these days? I know. We're not so different after all. Yeah. Let's just go back to the 20s. Terrible inflation. Oh, Same as here. <laughs> yes. But, but the fact that he is looking for a patient and then they say, let's talk to the head of the institute or you can talk to him. I immediately was like, oh, it's going to be Dr. Caligari. You didn't think it was? I was along for the ride. Yeah. I just couldn't believe he'd be sitting at a desk in his crazy outfit. Like, he looks so crazy. Who would give him a job? Especially as director of something. It's true. <laughs> Maybe it's all of his making. The Cubanist influences, too. Some people thought it was like Duchamp's new Descending the Staircase. It does have that element in it as far as broken up and geometric yeah. and harsh. Yes, yes definitely. definitely. Um, artists had already declared the Expressionist movement dead. By the time this movie came out, which I love. Whoa. It's like so artist. Like postmodernism is dead. That's like so overdone already. Expressionism is dead. And now there's this movie. And then meanwhile, we're like drooling over Tim Burton all the time over here. Yeah. A hundred years later. Right. He is so original. So I was suggesting for after we finish German Expressionism, we can go back to film noir or we could take a little detour and watch Batman and Robin or Batman Returns. <laughs> you can follow the thread. From German Expressionists to Batman Returns. Yeah, to the Tim Burton Batman. Right. Because right. it's just like this. Like, the costumes are reflecting the personality mm-hmm. of the characters, the sets. It's also film noir, too, because you get that 1920s gangster vibes in those movies, yep, too. that's true. Oh, never even thought about that. The Murder in the Shadows was really well done. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the first times that it's shown this way. I was wondering, and that's definitely precursor to film noir. I mean, that's yep. like all it is. So you just see the shadows and the, the shapes, but you don't see the actual figures themselves. Yeah, and the yeah, exaggerated hand movements and vertigo. So this movie... Did not do so well in the box office, maybe, but it was like a big deal for the movement. 
So there's a term coined because of the impact that, oh, it's Caligorism. 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 Sometimes it's so hard to say words that are new. <laughs> Caligorism. And then I also think this is kind of a film noir precursor because everyone is under the guise of suspicion mm. to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. Well, just the setting is very doom and gloom. Right. Distrustful. Mm -hmm. So a French critic said, it leaves a taste of cinders in the mouth after watching this movie. Ooh. That's pretty cool, yeah. too, though. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. <laughs> no. Made you feel something, right? <laughs> That's pretty good. As long as you're tasting something in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like a normal story. Right. Oh, here's an insane person. He's getting someone else to commit murders. We've caught him. And then done and done. I thought it was going to be like a clean right, cut. Exactly. Like, we dust our hands off. We're done for a good day's work. It was cool to see the courtyard, though, of all the different people that we've been seeing in the story. Now. All acting crazy. Yeah, in the courtyard acting crazy. It's almost like uh, waking up from the Wizard of Oz. And it's like, oh, we've seen all these people mm -hmm. in the middle of the movie. In the storyline. In a different context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. It felt very modern, very contemporary yeah. story. Granted, we would do it differently today, but... Bigger budget. Yeah. I think also after the movie was popular, Janowitz had lots to say about it. And I think he was an unreliable narrator, too, because he could change the story. Mm -hmm. And the director died in 1938, so he didn't have his part of the story. And I guess an original script was found, and now it's was printed in 1995 oh, cool. for the public. So there is an original yeah. frame story to a certain extent. There's a different ending, but I think it's like a dinner party where he's telling what happened. Oh. I don't think it's an insane asylum. I think he's at the dinner party and being like, you would never believe what happened to me. But he's not in an insane asylum right. telling you that. So that's a completely different ending, completely yeah. different feel. Hard to believe it was over 100 years ago. Oh, also, I wanted to say that the title cards themselves are kind of unsettling. And what I've read is the movie is not really black and white. It's tinted blue and white, green or white, oh. yellow. So this is arguably the first expressionist film. German expressionism. So, but some people said this is the end of expressionism. The end of expressionism was dead. So how is this? The as first? an art movement, as like yeah. a painting movement, as an artist. But in film, this is the first. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. It is, as you say, it's the end of one movement and the beginning of another of the same name. When we're at the fair and we're seeing Dr. Caligari's tent and he has the sleepwalker. And there's a painting for it, and it's just outlined as a person. That's totally German expressionism. Okay. I thought it was cool, too, that spiritualism was really big at this time. So when he all of a sudden wakes up the sleepwalker, he's like, now come up to him and he'll tell you your future. Right? right. And that was really popular at this time. This says from the Globe in December 1919, belief in spiritualism was spreading like wildfire. Spiritualism is defined as a relatively modern religion that's based on the beliefs that the spirits of the dead exist and both have the inclination and the ability to communicate with the living. Inclination. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they actually want to talk to you. Exactly. 
So with the 1920s approaching, belief in spiritualism was rampant amongst women, and it was getting a hold upon men. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, yeah, the interesting, too, that the last line of the movie is, like, at last I recognize his mania. Mm-hmm. So it's, I can cure him. Now I know how to cure him. Yeah, but the mania, like, I recognize the mania as he recognizing it because he has it himself or because they're all surrounded by it. Or because he's looking for another sleepwalker he can get to murder. That's why I was like, oh, I, you know, I recognize this now i know how to cure him and cure could be to control for my own purpose right it kind of just twists the idea of sanity where it's like what does it mean and how do you lose it yeah exactly yeah Yeah. it's all subjective and especially as a viewer watching a film you are watching the reality they're showing you right and it is like the cell seems so innovative too but this is almost like an original version of the cell where Jennifer Lopez is going into the mind of a serial killer. Oh, I still haven't and seen And it's all it. twisted and weird. This is that. And especially this movie. Mm-hmm. And then Bergman, in turn, inspired Tarkovsky. Tarkovsky. Damn it! Yeah, I was like, why don't we remember that hearing that name? It's because Tarkovsky yeah. did like him. And he only had yes. like five directors. And he that liked. was, a, oh yeah. And I made a little flow chart. But so here we are, German Expressionism, Scandinavian Revival. Those are the movies. Then Mirror and Stalker. Yay, yay. And so German Expressionism. Then we got Tim Burton. We got some pre-code film noir, neo-noir, goes to New Hollywood. Oh, and then we got a film noir and Italian neorealism, which goes to Asphalt Jungle, which goes to Fellini. So I tried. I try to make a flow chart. Where are we on that flow chart? We're here. We're in the corner. We're in the corner. But we did film noir. Yeah, but we're going back to it now that once we so we did film noir. We're not like it's not. It's just it's not like we've done it. Like there's so much more. I just was confused where we're going. So it's kind of like the lines in this movie. (laughs) That's kind of where we're going. In zigzags and yeah. So because we could go to Tim Burton or we'll go back to film noir. Then we can go to neo noir or we could go to Italian neorealism because that's what's going on in Italy after the war. At the same time as German expressionism. As film noir. Okay. But, but it comes from here, too. I'm interested in the Fellini. We got to see the Fellini. We're going to do all of it. Oh, okay, good. We're not choosing. Oh, good. We're doing all of it. I've got movies lined up. Nice. For your viewing pleasure. I know. Should we take a photo of that and post it for our listeners so they can follow our flow chart? I'll get a PowerPoint going. Okay. <laughs> We could. If Get your we slides have, right. We're still in German Expressionism. So next okay. we're watching The Golem. It's made in Germany. It's German Expressionism, but it's like a Czech story. So we're going to watch that next. Are there other German Expressionism films that aren't horror? Or is that go hand in hand? Yes, there are. But I think at the time after the war, horror was an easy one to make. Right. So M is German Expressionism. It is not horror, but it is crime murder. Yeah. It is, and that's a pretty modern thriller. Exactly, psychological thriller. Mm -hmm. And you could say, so you could argue about Metropolis being German Expressionism because it is the time period, but it's not so much like the costumes and the expression and the plot isn't so much, but it's more like 
sci-fi and dystopian so that part you could kind of argue about it but that's like blade runner is directly influenced by metropolis and then he's okay cool wow so much knowledge we're gonna have at the end of it yes and we need to gather and we need to gather right so also keep keep some of this in mind with Bergman so a lot of people are like oh Bergman was so inspired by these movies and he was like I was not but he kind of was was not (laughs) yeah exactly don't tell I'm original (laughs) that was the cabinet of Dr. Caligari Oh, you have streaked black and white hair that's combed back and like painted gloves on your hand. Some call this somnambulance. Somnambulance. The somnambulance is here. Oh. <laughs> okay, cut.